0: Welcome to the Review of Optometric Business podcast, Challenges in Building a Myopia Management Practice. We recently visited the office of Dr. Dan Press of Park Ridge Vision in Park Ridge, Illinois. We discussed how optometrists can build awareness of myopia management and ortho-K. We talked about new research that allows ODs to easily show the risks of allowing myopia to develop into high myopia. And we talked about new and improved techniques to effectively address the progression of myopia. And now, Dr. Dan Press in the Review of Optometric Business podcast, Challenges in Building a Myopia Management Practice. So I am in 12 years practice now. Graduated from PCO in 2007 and moved from New Jersey to Chicago in 2012 and i had a unique situation because i am a third generation optometrist in order to learn from my father and grandfather and i got interested into optometry because of my father's practice in new jersey and he had a vision therapy niche practice and so observing him going through high school and undergraduate at college i worked as a vision therapist in the practice uh, in between my undergraduate and start of optometry school I fell in love with the service, I fell in love with the ability to help people in a way that not many other professionals could. And it was something that I had always dreamed of being able to practice myself once I was out there. And I had the opportunity to work with him for five years, and then because my wife is originally from the Chicago area, we decided to move out here. And I didn't even consider practicing in any other way, Uh, just seeing how we could uh, generate nice revenue in the practice, but also not have to be burdened with all of the uh, red tape and uh, bureaucratic issues you deal with with insurance companies, uh, dealing with the uh, online concerns that a lot of our primary care colleagues have, uh, to have something that's niche, niche. uh, to have uh, a specialty practice frees us from a lot of those same burdens that we would otherwise feel. First, I think it's important when it comes to deciding what type of practice to have and what's viable and what's not viable. I think you need to have a passion. So I think that there's a lot of different avenues for viable practices that are out there and it's been proven multiple times over again. Uh, If you have a passion for eyewear and for optical, you can be very successful with that. But my personal passion is in pediatric vision care, is in uh, brain injury and helping uh, helping, I see that our specialty work is in giving a voice to people who otherwise wouldn't have it. And uh, there's a lot of confusion out there about post concussion uh, issues. Uh, there's a lot of research now that supports that there's a huge role with vision, uh, that vision is impacted very commonly after concussion. And those patients look fine, and they scan fine. And, uh, you know, not until they get through a a thorough visual evaluation that's looking at convergence and accommodation and eye movements and peripheral motion sensitivity do we then start to understand that there really is an issue there. Uh, And so that dovetails nicely with working with pediatrics in terms of the children that can't speak up for themselves about the issues that they're having and whether it's a convergence issue or whether it's progressive myopia. You know, in 15 years ago, we really weren't, as a profession, providing active myopia control. And now that we have the research and the the data that there are ways to effectively slow down progression of myopia, I look at it the same way in terms of that I'm going to give a voice for this child and talk to their parents and talk to the child, that we have opportunities now in a way that we didn't have a generation ago to potentially help reduce risk factors for serious eye diseases as they get older. So I think having the the evidence behind the the services that we provide is very important. And specifically when it comes to myopia management, whether it's the Brian Holden Institute that has been pushing great data and great information out there to the public, or the many other researchers that have been publishing uh, supportive data on the ways that we can help slow down uh, myopia progression, and also what the impact of progressive myopia is on ocular health, uh, we have solid evidence now, and we have solid data, and which is very important to consider when making treatment options and discussing the concern that we have with other professionals. Uh, that's intra-professionally and interprofessionally. And I think that uh, by having the, the data that's out there, by having the evidence that supports the interventions that we're recommending, it has lifted the entire field. And to have industry support is a, is a, is very important too, because they're the people they're the, the that's the avenue that I see us being able to expand this beyond our own practices. You know, we have uh, I, I think that myopia management is something that's becoming a lot more popular in the field in the last few years, and it's wonderful that we have many practices that are interested now in helping to slow down the progression of myopia in, in childhood. Uh, but in order to get that out into the mainstream, it's going to take a lot more than, than a group of private practices uh, that pull together resources. It's going to take industry, and it's been very nice over the last three or four years to see that calling uh, be answered by industry, and I think that the awareness in the public is going to explode over the next five years. So in the exam room when we have a child who's showing uh, myopia progression or even early myopia, uh, we start the discussion by making sure that the parent and the child are both aware of the consequences of higher myopia. And we talk about the fact that there are, there's a clear association between higher prescriptions and sight-threatening eye disease. Now, I, I'm not a fan of, of playing scare tactics, so w- w- but we just talk about the, the data. We talk about the research. And when I'm having the discussion in the exam room, it's, it's a matter of here, here's where your child is now now it's helpful to have some historical data with that patient and if they came into the practice when they were six years old and they were plus fifty and then they came in at seven years old and they were plano and now they're eight years old and they're minus one we can point to that progression and point to that trend to talk about what's going to happen in the next ten years until we expect their myopia to start to plateau and we we can pull up the brian holden institute has a great myopia calculator that you can uh, go over with the parents but uh, personally, I don't really find that all, all that necessary. Uh, we talk about very, uh, very plainly that there is a concern here that's beyond blurred vision. And I make that distinction in the exam room when we talk about myopia, and I, I, am, I try to be very careful to use the term myopia and not nearsightedness. So when I have the discussion with, in the exam room, it will simply start with your child has been diagnosed with myopia. Myopia is the clinical term that we use for nearsightedness. Now I prefer that term because nearsighted tells you the visual experience. The person sees relatively well uh, up close or sees well up close relative to the distance vision. But myopia encompasses much more than that. The true concern is that the, with increasing prescriptions, the eye is getting longer and as the eye is getting longer, you need a stronger prescription in order to, to focus the light on the, on the back of the eye to see clearly. But with that increased lengthening of the eye comes a stretching of the contents inside the eye. And it is our job to do whatever we can to try to minimize that in order to minimize future risk of these sight-threatening conditions. The general patient that walks into the practice has not heard about myopia control or myopia concerns. And many times we are the first people, the first practitioners to bring up the concern to them. But once they leave the practice that day, they're armed with knowledge and we will give them resources. Uh, We have a special section dedicated on our website to to information regarding myopia. I think that uh, the Giffords down in Australia have a great website called mykidsvision.org that we refer parents to. Uh, And so it it typically takes those families about six months to a year before they start to recognize the concern and are ready to commit to doing a treatment option surrounding slowing down the progression. But then from doing this, I've been in this community for about seven years now, you get word of mouth referrals. And that's where our, our myopia management practice has, has grown from. It's, it's the families that have done it before, it's the siblings, it's the teammates on the baseball team, the gymnastics uh, studio, the swimming team, uh, and people talking about what their experiences are in the practice. And families, you know, the message still for the most part is about getting rid of the need for daytime glasses and contact lenses. And that's why our Ortho-K or CRT program is by far the most popular uh, avenue for myopia management. But the message is getting out there that there's a concern about eye health when it comes to prescription changes. And this is a practice that has a specialty at slowing that down over time. And it takes years before that really starts to, to snowball. But now you know, we stay very busy with myopia management because of that word of mouth.